This episode of the Sunday Salon is sponsored by Number Three London Dry Gin, the only gin to have ever been voted world's best gin four times. Containing just six botanicals, it brings together the perfect refreshing balance of juniper, citrus and spice, ideal for the ultimate dry martini, or, my favourite, a gin and tonic. Distilled in Holland, the home of gin, it took them two years to create their masterpiece, working with master distillers, top mixologists and Dr David Cluton, the only man to hold a PhD in gin. The perfect addition to any drinks trolley, number three is available to purchase at selected stores nationwide, including Waitrose and Berry Brothers and Rudd, for £35. Discover gin just as it should be. Hello and welcome to The Sunday Salon, a podcast celebrating brilliant books and the women who write them. My guests this week are Naomi Shimada and Sarah Raphael, authors of Mixed Feelings, exploring the emotional impact of our digital habits. Both have spent much of their adult lives online. Sarah has been an editor at major digital titles, including Refinery29, where she was editor and then editor-at-large. Naomi, meanwhile, is a model and activist who has cultivated a 78,000-strong following on Instagram thanks to her uplifting posts championing confidence. So Sarah, Naomi, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Uh, let's start with the book. How would you describe it and what made you write it? I would like to describe it as an exploration into the depth of our inner lives and how social media has affected the emotional aspects of all of our lives, how it's affected the way we work, uh, the relationships and friendships that we cultivate, mm. how we spend our free time. Like social media is the thing that has had the biggest effect on all of our lives mm. of, of our generation. Mm. And there is bound to be an emotional fallout from that, but we're not really talking about it. Mm. Me and Sarah always say that so many of these things happen to us alone on our phones. Mm. That these that these feelings we have, we have in isolation. Mm. So this book is we, you know, we wanted to create a healthy space to be able to lift the lid on having these conversations about these isolated experiences, mm. to kind of just connect the dots and kind of create a mirror and a tiny bite-sized version of, of what social media looks like by mm. having two different voices, me and Sarah's, mm. as well as contributions from other people, as well as this, Q&As and little mm. excerpts just to kind of bring it to life to make it look like what social media looks like to us. Mm. I felt that in the media there was such a lukewarm response to, so, to social media. Mm. Every time there's an article about it, for instance, the latest one is that um, uh, Instagram is stopping the plastic surgery filters, mm. which came out, I think, um, a few days ago. And the articles written about it say, amid concerns, these filters could possibly be having a, an effect on young mm -hmm. people's mental mm -hmm. health and, and body image. Mm -hmm. And so many of the articles are these data-driven insights, which are very, very lukewarm, and perhaps it's having an effect. And mm -hmm. it could be having an effect on this percentage of people. And I think it's missing the, the human story of what mm -hmm. it actually feels like to mm -hmm. use social media and how you know a vast spectrum of women use it and feel about it. And I was working at Refinery29, the women's media company, and doing a lot of these kind of stories and they always did really well in terms of traffic. And then I was also spending um, one afternoon a week volunteering at a teenage girls empowerment charity in Brixton. Mm -hmm. And so 
that gave me real insight into the different levels at which people mm-hmm. perceive social media. So I was mm-hmm. kind of talking about it on the, the media level, the kind of mm-hmm. liberal media level mm-hmm. of, yes, this is how it feels and blah, 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 blah. And then I'd go see these girls and they would have a whole other context and language. And mm-hmm. even just taking photos of them as a group, you kind of see people, you know, no one smiles in photos anymore. They mm-hmm. kind of contort their faces into the most attractive arrangement, which just, it, it's just so strange to look at and to mm-hmm. observe. and. I did a lot of sessions with them. How do you feel? You know, how did how does social media make you feel? And partly they loved it and talked very positively. And you know, they all start watching beauty tutorials on YouTube mm. and snapping their friends and using Instagram. But they spend over three hours a day using these apps. And I said, you know, what would you do without it? And they were like, we'd love life without it. Then mm. we'd have a real life. Mm. I was like, what do you mean you'd have a real life? And they were like, well, we could go to the shops without our eyebrows on and not be afraid of people seeing us the way we really are. And mm. you could say that that's always existed in terms of you know, my grandmother didn't used to leave the house without her lipstick on mm. and used to cover all her freckles before she left the house. But the extent to which all these things are happening now is so vast and there's a huge gap in understanding and knowledge from the older generation to the younger generation. So we really wanted to try and fill in some gaps and with the book and so I think it has a number of audiences in terms of the younger women who are reading it but then also so many parents of young girls or teenage girls have told me that they're reading it trying Mm. to understand because so much is happening in that space that's not Mm. really being talked about by media or Mm. yeah and parents parents. do just want to understand their children better or just like you said the spectrum of how it's affected different generations and I really have to agree with what you said that's such a good point about most of the articles being written about social media there's like it, they feel so clinical mm. that the the personal side to it is what's what's felt like it was really missing to us and mm. i think that just continues to make people feel more isolated mm. because we see the stats but we're still all addicted to it it's not changing mm. our behaviors so it's like we it's just like consuming junk food almost or you you know that it's bad for you mm. but it's also about for me personally it's also been so much about reanalyzing my own relationship to it like Mm. or thinking about it as a relationship Mm. you know if something was making you feel bad or how would you treat that relationship how would you how do you want to manage your time around something Mm. that doesn't always make you feel good Mm. what you said there very much speaks to the title which is a kind of running theme which is this idea of mixed feelings of mm-hmm. kind of positives and negatives and you look at that with you know in, in all these different contexts when it comes to mental health when it comes to relationships work downtime and so on now I mean, you write about uh, sharing aspects of your life and personality online and how although you know that, that can be hugely positive in some ways you also sometimes feel like you're giving other people ownership of of you mm-hmm. and you start to owe your followers on instagram mm-hmm. say something can you tell me a bit about that i think as social media has become more and more of a dominant presence in all of our lives especially my life as a public facing person mm. i built my career on social media i have mm. mixed feelings about it because i owe so much of my life to it you mm. know it was the first place I really felt like I could express myself in in all my ways, mm. you know. Like I've come in today in my full pink outfit. You can't see it because it's on the radio. It looks great. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, all of these things that make up who I am. And I never felt like I had found a place in the world before. But Instagram was this place where I could 
I could make all the tiles of my life come together, mm. literally, to make up a picture. Mm. So, but as my job became more and more Instagram, like, focused, mm. you know, where were the lines between my work self and my, my real self mm. when every meal or holiday or all my friends are part of the content? Mm. And your dance videos. And my most importantly, my mm. dad, every, the crowd pleaser, the ultimate <laughs> crowd pleaser. So it started to really play on my mind and feel like, you know, if I wasn't feeling my be- the best version of myself that day, I really struggled to use the internet. Mm. Like there was something that I felt dishonest mm. to myself and, my, and the people who follow me, that mm. I wasn't giving my whole self mm. or like being honest that I wasn't feeling good. Mm. But I mm. was just... At the time, I was trying to figure out what those boundaries are. Like, do I owe the internet my whole self? Mm. Do I owe my followers exactly how I'm feeling every day? I don't, actually, Mm. you know? Like, but because that line is so blurred Mm. of, like, being this front-facing person who talks about these kinds of subject matter but do I have to fit my trauma into a caption today? Mm, mm. You know, and it's not that I'm ashamed uh, at all. I'm not ashamed of how social media has made me feel or how I feel on a day-to-day basis, the roller coaster that is life. You know, mm. I'm not ashamed about that. I just don't always feel like the format of social media or an image and a caption is the right place to explore something that is so nuanced and textured mm. and trying to navigate how I wanted to take up space on the internet, how I wanted to explore the subject matter, how I wanted to stay honest, but what felt right to me. Mm. So, you know, this book kind of provided the space to be able to do that, Mm. you know? Social media totally changed the spectrum of how modeling also worked Mm. because before I would just go to a shoot Mm. and come home, but now every day is a shoot, Mm. (laughs) you know? like, Mm. And the more productivity and the more... um, content you have up online Mm. the more it keeps you present and Mm. you know like people think you're busy and that's Mm. that that creates its own work cycle Mm. so I think I had to just restructure how I felt about myself and my own value Mm. that wasn't just based on social media Mm. which you know when even like all brands and campaigns what they their favorite thing to do now is like a day in the life at home with me and it's like it's a you know, I've had my hair and makeup done. There are six people in my wardrobe. Like, it's not a casual thing. It's not It's not yeah. just a day in the life. Like, yeah. there is a whole team of people there. And that intimacy of what felt precious to me, it, you know, started to just feel like it was being taken away from me or, or it was being demanded of me more and mm. more. And I still struggle with this every day when briefs come in and jobs come in even the biggest of campaigns are like can we shoot in your house can Mm. we shoot you on your bed you know like the intimacy yeah the commodification of authenticity Mm. an authentic day or authentic person like and trying to create your own boundaries when this is still how you make your living Mm. and also there are days i really enjoy it but these kinds of lines are getting more and more blurred Mm. Mm. so you really i find i really have to stand up for myself a lot of the time and you know try and pick my battles of what when i do want to do it when i don't want to do it Mm. you know i have a strict number of people i won't have more than blah blah blah, the certain amount in my house or i I don't want to do it you know i don't want them to shoot my family or you know literally all these things are being asked of us all the time now Mm. so just trying to navigate 
a new world where this is a cultural norm. Mm-hmm. And Sarah, I was very struck by you wrote about perfectionism, which I think millennial women particularly really, really feel this drive towards perfectionism. I, I wondered if you could tell me how social media had fed into that and then also in turn the coping mechanisms that you have developed for it. So a few years ago, I remember being at a club in London and I was at the bar and then I was chatting to this guy, not in a flirtatious way, but he was like, oh, what do you do? And I was like, oh, well, I'm the editor of a women's media company. And he went, mm-hmm, and what else? <laughs> and I was like, uh, well, I mean, what do you mean, what else? And he was like, have you got a podcast? Do you volunteer? Like, what else makes up you? And that was this real... <laughs> strange experience for me because I was like no work makes up me like that takes up all my time and that was when I you know obviously people started talking about the multi-hyphenate existence Mm. and doing all of these things and it's not just having a job it's like the job and the perfect living room and the like looking amazing all the time and Mm. the kind of exercise regimes and the lifestyle and the food and it suddenly become you have to or that there's a pressure to live a 360 perfect life which is just impossible it's Mm -hmm. completely impossible but yet Mm -hmm. that's what people project onto social media all the time and it's really difficult to process what's happening as you're scrolling through these perfect images perfect Mm -hmm. images you don't have the time to stop and think okay well obviously that's not really real and as Naomi said there's a team of people behind this image Mm -hmm. and yeah I guess personally perfectionism I mean, it sounds like such an annoying thing to claim to suffer from, but so many people do. We feel like it has to be, you know, it's not just working hard, it's where's the proof that you've worked hard? Like, Mm. what's the image that represents your accomplishment and how are you going to caption it? And it's this sort of Mm. bragging. I mean, I I use the word bragging because that's what's expected, but that's not really, it's more like a compulsion too. I don't blame people who are like, you know, and this is what I've done, and this is what I've done, and this is what I look like, because mm. it's the whole culture that encourages people and compels people to do those things. But it's ultimately, you know, being perfect in every single facet of your life has become the norm. You mm. know, it's it's normal. It's you, you wouldn't post a photo of yourself or your life that didn't in some way make you look perfect. Mm. Like, you know, you can't have all of it in one photo, but I wouldn't post a photo that didn't demonstrate some element of my life that I wanted people to know about Mm. and and how do you how have you learned to sort of mediate that that impulse that perfectionist drive I think just by being aware of it is the first step Mm. um you know it sounds so simple obviously the images we see on social media aren't real so I had this experience where I went on a press trip and I was the uh, only UK journalist with a, with 99 mm. uh, fitness influencers mm. who are some of my friends like we we made good friends but it was a really strange scenario because it was in early 2017 so influence culture was obviously big but there was still a bit of a lack of understanding like there wasn't sponsored posts there wasn't like hashtag ad or you know whatever all those terms that people use now to be transparent about the transaction that's going on mm. so I went on this trip and um it was a running trip and we were kind of you know running across the Golden Gate Bridge and it was really beautiful and I was really intimidated because they were all fitness influencers like very you know athletes and constantly running marathons and then 
they just stopped to take photos <laughs> all the time and I realised it wasn't about running at all and I'd had like performance anxiety well I can't I'm not going to run as fast as them like mm. that's the perfectionism coming through and I should be able to like do my job and also like run at the speed of these fitness influencers and blah 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 but I just kind of watched these images being made and they would just like jump up into the air <laughs> like and then pose and then go back down jump into the air pose go back down mm. and they would just leap up and down up and down or forwards and backwards forwards and backwards like 50 times until the photo was got and then I would see them on the bus kind of like editing the photo choosing the photo and then it would go up a few days later waiting for the caption etc and I saw all these things sort of be crafted and that experience was really helpful because it was I really understood okay well of course I'm going to feel bad about myself if I'm using this app to post pictures of my friends and me in our everyday lives where there's Mm. no like team there's no pose there's no kind of direction there's no makeup there's no hair and I'm on the same platform as professional images which you don't realize are professional Mm. images and so just understanding things like that and seeing how it actually works even though it sounds so simple people forget it all the time they don't have time to process it in their minds when they're on these apps You've both been operating in the digital media sphere for a while now. How have you noticed how it has changed over that time? I mean, something that comes through in in, in the book is that, you know, there are elements of certainly when, when social media was just in its infancy, was that it was this sort of quite democratizing force. And now we kind of have CGI models that are totally unattainable. So we've gone from sort of it being a platform for ordinary people, real ordinary people, to to being a platform for sort of totally fake people. (laughs) How have you seen it change over your your time in it? It's like, do you know that, I don't mean to quote French philosophers, but um, (laughs) Jean Baudrillard, um, who I studied at university, and he talks about the procession of simulacra, which is like when there's an original and then there's a copy of an original and then another copy and then another copy. Mm. And another copy and mm. then the end result is hyper reality and I feel like that's what's happened with like CGI influencers for instance like we've reached the point of hyper reality it's no longer even you know a young girl trying to copy the Kylie Jenner's like beauty look it's become hyper real like it's not even t- there's no grounding in reality anymore mm. so we're living in this like fantasy world and I think that's almost more exciting to me and I think less intimidating in a way because mm. it's, it's it's left reality in, mm. and I think it's a bit safer somehow mm. even though it's obviously very problematic and will definitely damage us in ways that I can't quite imagine now but I think <laughs> with artificial intelligence and kind of CGI influences I feel there's a distance between me and them and that mm. makes me feel a lot safer than mm. the kind of Kardashian t- style influencer influencers who have had lots of surgery and who are mm. posting images as though they haven't like I think the CGI is a bit uh, more manageable somehow but yeah in terms of how it's changed it's changed so much and it will change so much and we had to really be aware of that and be conscious of it as we were writing the book because obviously stats fade so quickly there's the Instagram like experiment which it hasn't uh, come into action in the UK yet but it's now in Canada and mm. six other countries and that hadn't happened when we'd given in the book and yeah I kind of I hope that more and more actions are taken by social media giants in order to undo some of the damage that they've done and I think it will change drastically it will be unrecognizable in the next year two years oh really to me the CGI is now a metaphor just I think the CGI characters and the people are the same now 
Do you know what I mean? That this following this formula of chasing capitalism, wearing the right outfits, being aligned with the right activist causes. You know, like to me, they're not even separate creatures anymore. Mm. Which I hadn't really thought about till I was listening to you speak. But I was—I don't even know what the difference is because their faces, everything is so CGI-like anyway. Yeah. But the perfect bodies, the perfect cheekbones, the perfect mm. this, the perfect that, and like, I think if anything, for me, it's just taken the fun out of it for me. Mm. Like the, this very formulaic, you know, personalities, ideologies, photographic style, captions, like. Mm. To me, it's it's boring, mm. <laughs> and it's taken the fun and the creativity out of it. And I think this is also what happens when an innocent era of you know it was it was a safe space for creative expression and and kind of a peer to peer just image sharing device where people just were expressing learning how to express themselves. To me, that's how I saw it, the infancy of Instagram. Mm. To like so many good things when they kind of meet capitalism and it just becomes this whole other machine mm. which is now used to kind of spit out these Kodak moments and also just to constantly remind us of things that we don't have in our lives mm. and I think that kind of blurred lines of everyone is an influencer of some sort now mm. you know like even if most people are tagging just a normal holiday pic you know they'll tag the what they're wearing the mm. hotel the airline the yeah. this the that people are doing it without even it being their job anymore you know so I think I don't know I, I feel sad about the state of it for me mm. personally but I also think that things always evolve and this is our way of just shifting and evolving and but I think it's important for me to be able to remember that and remember how it's changed and what I don't like about it anymore mm. because it's where I built so much of myself and then I had to figure out why it was making me feel bad and this is all part of that you Mm. know like the machine changed Mm. the intention changed the innocence was robbed and that helps me decide how I want to interact with it going forward or also you know it reminds me to seek my joy and pleasures in reality Mm. I think the innocence being robbed has happened in a different happened in a different way on each platform as well Mm. like for instance obviously with Facebook it was Cambridge Analytica and it becoming like this uh, advertising platform and mm. that was its, mm-hmm. its main crime at the time and then with Instagram it was more about kind of influencer culture it was a bit more subtle in terms of I think it was a bit more subtle in terms of the negative effect it had on people mm. and then with Twitter is really interesting because that was such a like land of free speech and it was so supportive and people would support each other on there and kind of group together to kind of fight injustice and Mm. that was I guess it still does do that a little bit but the vitriol on Twitter now is so strong and it's so kind of tribal and it's become so dark and kind of shouty and I think all of these you know there's I think I can't remember I can't remember the guy who created the internet but I remember reading that he had given a a, Tim Berners-Lee yes (laughs) a talk and and was a bit of a shell of his former self and Mm. had kind of was like I didn't know what I was creating and Mm. you know the ethics behind all these things like there's the former Google design ethicist Tristan Harris who I quote a lot in the book and he's one of the like rebel Silicon Valley engineers who talks about the persuasive psychology that's used in creating all of these apps and all this stuff's kind of coming out like even you know the Black Mirror episode where it's 
the fake Mark Zuckerberg and mm. the um, the guy who's in Fleabag calls him up mm. and is like, this is what you've done. And the Mark Zuckerberg character is on a silent retreat because mm-hmm. he kind of <laughs> has to get away from what he's created. Mm. I think it, I don't think anyone realized or had any idea and couldn't have possibly predicted how they would change and kind of negatively affect people. I think the age of innocence is gone, but now what's, and we're all starting to realize that and wake up to it. And there's all these articles now coming out about, you know, Tavi Gevinson, this is how it, this is what my life was like at the, at the mm. peak of my fame and the, the curtains coming down. And then now it will be a really interesting space to see how, what people do with that information yeah. and what social media engineers and owners do with that information and I think I'm really excited to see how they mm-hmm. clear up. How have you seen your own kind of relationship with the internet and use of the internet change as a result of writing the book? Did it change? Did you become more self-conscious of it? Definitely. Me and Sarah always talk about the fact that we like this was our burn book you know by yeah. writing our truth in it we've rid ourselves of a lot of it you know, of the weight we were carrying around because of it that by being forced to look at our own behaviors connected to social media under such a microscope and you know we took an active pledge to be as honest as and, and vulnerable as we could about all our experiences you know mm. that we wouldn't hide behind our words and I think it I mean, I'm speaking for both of us because we've had this conversation together before, but it just it just woke us up and mm. kind of allowed us to just let a lot of it go, you mm. know? And social media is already such a place of such projection and pretense and to really be honest about our own behaviors as well as speak to other people and people who contributed to the book who were also so honest themselves. It just... You just see that we're all in it together, kind of, that we've all had these feelings. And mm. it just, it, it definitely has changed my own behavior to it, you know. And But the irony is, of course, now we have a book to promote <laughs> and my job still runs hand in hand with social media. So mm. it's not like we can totally step away from it. And I, and I don't think our book was about, like, let's all step away from social media. Mm. It was kind of more along the lines of if this technology isn't going anywhere, how do we want to interact with it going forward? How do we have a more conscious and mindful relationship when we understand the technology, like Sarah says, about you know persuasive technology, the specific types of engineers who create you know gambling software, also creating these apps, like knowing all this information mm. and how it works, like a slot machine in our minds on a daily mm. basis. How do we want to interact with it going forward? And I think for me, it's just finding out, like I said, treating this relationship like a real relationship. What does what does boundaries with alongside social media look like for me? And I think it differs for all of us, but just being able to listen to, if something triggers you or makes you feel a certain type of way, I think being able to kind of strip that down and question ourselves and then be like, why? Is it because I, A, want something that person is doing? Do I actually want that thing or mm-hmm. is it, a societal message that I have been conditioned Mm. to yearn for you know to really I think these are all really existential questions that came into the practice of writing our book Mm. which 
have really made me examine my own personal value system and for that I will always be grateful to the book and the process of writing and being able to really see your own behaviors strip it all back and be like okay going forward what do I actually want mm. what what does what does the depth of me want who I who am I as a person without all of this stuff mm. and I am so grateful to have been able to have that this opportunity to work all of that out because mm. I think this this will this is something I'll be working on my entire life mm. and to know that I don't have to deliver it or deliver myself on a deadline you know mm. this 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 constant need to perform these ideas of productivity and success all the time that are are fed to us on social media and ma- just magnified on the internet you know and i think that's what's been like that's why sarah's having a great time living in nairobi right now or all <laughs> these things where you know we've been reminded of that we actually we are not only our work influencer culture is just starting in Nairobi and it's really (laughs) bizarre like you start I look up from my like co-working space and see two young women like doing a photo shoot by a palm tree in the garden of a cafe and I'm like okay it's coming but it's really interesting like yeah obviously I live on the other side of the world at the moment in Kenya and I've been chatting to my Kenyan friends there and they're like you know Kim Kardashian and Kylie Jenner are still the aspiration and you know Kenya is one of countries of one of the countries uh of extreme inequality it's got the largest slum in all of africa in it and everyone has a phone like safaricom is the main network provider and it's huge and the safaricom stands uh, all around the slum so everyone has phones and everyone has data and they're all on instagram and that's still the aspiration and looking at these insane lifestyles of the rich and famous and living a completely different life and they're you know i i worry and wonder what will happen to people growing up in that environment I mean for us it's obviously very very far removed from our daily lives Mm. but we're more used to that celebrity culture and yeah but so for me in terms of going forward and changes I've made I've I have no hesitation on following and muting people anymore Mm. (laughs) and I feel like you you know people have always said curate your feed curate your feed curate your feed like that's what will help that's what will help and you just you're like yeah whatever I can't be bothered like it's not really going to help that much is it and you kind of forget that you have any control in these situations whatsoever and just reminding yourself that you do have control and you do have mm. power and you can it's a bit boring but when you sit down and go through who the amount of people you're following and you're like I can't remember who that is or mm. how I met them or why I'm following them I don't mm. know anymore then you just unfollow and it feels a bit brutal but you know that ultimately it's really worth it and there's so many good accounts that you can follow instead and kind of I think for me identifying what why I like to use Instagram why I like to use Twitter why I like to use Facebook and using it for those specific purposes like I love watching dog content and like videos and cake decorating videos and I love Mm. ASMR on YouTube and there's all these communities online which I love and it makes me really happy and it releases oxytocin in my brain and it's great and just remembering that I can just do that instead I don't have Mm. to like go into these existential holes of who am I and I'm not good looking enough and I'm not successful enough and I'm not fit enough and I'm not fast enough and I'm not 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 there's Mm. yeah 
I th- well, actually, also, Sarah doesn't update her own Instagram anymore, but she's created a special one for her dogs. That's, <laughs> that's how her use has changed. <laughs> um, so, I mean, as you mentioned, you, and just to explain to anyone listening, because we were talking about this before we started recording, you moved to Kenya how long ago? Uh, in February. In February. Um, was that while you were writing the book? Yes. And how did it work co-writing it? What was the, how did that yeah, people always ask us this question, but we, we actually, it was pretty flawless, wasn't it? Yeah, so we had a lot of phone conversation. We, yeah, we we decided what the, the, the subjects were, mm. and then we just wrote our own essays from our own perspectives mm. for each subject. Mm. And then kind of, yeah, workshopped them with each other along yeah, the way, to, exactly. which was so helpful to have someone who's not your editor and who's not your agent to be like, look, just as a reader of the internet, like, does it sound okay? Like, do, mm. just to kind of sound check it. Yeah, and feel it, and someone to tell you you're not crazy, mm. and that you're onto something. And then between, I mean, especially for me, I'd never written before, mm. so I had, you know, my initial um, imposter syndrome and, and uh, acute anxiety that I felt surrounding writing. Uh, you know, because to me, it really was the the equivalent of climbing Everest like I'd never done this thing before Mm -hmm. and you know before we signed our deal and as we signed our deal I had a complete nervous breakdown about it I mean Sarah saw me she could attest I was literally like I can't do this I can't sign my name on the dotted line and tell them I can commit to finishing this when I have no idea how to do this Mm -hmm. so just entering into this project with someone with Sarah was so helpful just to Mm -hmm. kind of keep me grounded because I am a whole different person now, like from before book to after book. Like I'm, you know, now I feel like I'm like, okay, what's the next mountain we're going to climb? Because to me, it was, it, it was such a personal, you know, win for me just to be able to learn how to do something completely new, see it through the end, sit through all the excruciating pain and, and kind of, and also make decisions from my heart, you know, and that was so based on who I am as a person and what I care about, you know, from all the contributors we picked, the stories I decided to like tell that were my own, Mm -hmm. you know, this whole project was from the heart, you know, Mm -hmm. it was people who inspired us that we thought we were interesting, we didn't follow any formula, I mean, Sarah has obviously a lot more experience than me, but as a whole, you know, we just did what felt right, you know, and halfway, you know, we didn't even, at the beginning, we weren't even sure that we were going to have contributors on board. And then halfway there, I was like, we absolutely have to ha- do this. Mm. So all, all these decisions, whether it was design, you know, the features, everything was made by gut. Mm. You know, like we, we approached a lot of these ideas from just a place of pure cur- curiosity mm. that we wanted to hear from these people because we wanted to learn from them. And we didn't just want the focus to be us. Mm. We wanted the book to reflect what social media looks like, which is a myriad of different perspectives and voices. Mm So for me, you know, having someone to work alongside and just workshop all the time at all hours of the day. I mean, our WhatsApp history probably looks absolutely (laughs) crazy, but it was just, it made it so much more of an enjoyable experience to be able to share that that bulk of that pressure, all of these things, you know, and also that our voices, I think our voices work really well together, mm. if I say so myself about the book. <laughs> but, you know, it was Definitely really nice to have. that we have different accents on audio. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's really good, actually. Um, the, um, you mentioned, you know, you're now thinking, what's your next mountain to climb? Uh, what What is next for you guys, um, each of you? 
Well, we are doing a mixed feelings podcast. Just oh, great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're working on that. Um, are you going to record that from Kenya? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to be coming back a lot because um, I've just started retraining as a psychotherapist. Oh. Mm-hmm. So I started that about a month ago. Um, kind of partly because of the conversations I was having and I interviewed lots of psychologists and psychotherapists yeah. for the book and I was, I'm just so interested in all these mm-hmm. behaviours and um, yeah, why people act the way they do and why you know, one of the psychotherapists I interviewed said that anxiously attached people, which is a psychotherapy term, but it means like from when you were little, if you felt attached to your caregiver or not, if you didn't, those people will use the internet complete and social media completely differently from people who felt attached when mm. they were growing up. And I just, yeah, even Definitely. talking about social media, it's so interesting how your experiences, even from a child, will now affect how you use it and you know one person can use like my boyfriend will use social media and has absolutely zero negative feelings when he uses it he's just like oh it's nice I'm happy Mm. for my friends on that holiday and you know my dad absolutely loves it and (laughs) spends an hour a night on his whatsapp groups and Mm. thinks memes are hilarious and youtube Mm. video like jokes and everything and so many people use it and feel not you know I, I think more men actually and feel don't feel the negative impact and Anyway, I'm going off track. But I think I'm doing more and more. <laughs> but honestly, I think also this experience and the, all your curiosity surrounding social media will 1,000% give you an edge. I think with psychotherapists or just therapy in general, I think I think there really are enough questions being asked about people's personal social media use. Mm. I think it should be one of the main questions in therapy now. A lot because you know people are going to therapy with all these new anxieties and so much of it is like social media related or triggered by social media but a lot of therapists are of the older generation yeah exactly and don't understand. so that's what i mean so there's this huge missing that you know it's it's a really real thing that's impacting so many of our lives that if you don't really understand it in the therapy room i feel like there's just this kind of hmm. and so yeah i really want to go thing to study specifically mm. artificial intelligence and therapy and how interesting. how people can, I, mean, I don't know what social media will look like by the time I qualify, but I want to be involved in that cross-section of technology and people's behavior and how they're feeling about it. And there was this experiment in the 60s where they made like a computer that had listened to like a thousand therapy sessions or something. And then they said to a team of people, do you want to have a therapy session with a computer? It's a computer, it's not a real person. And all the people said yes, and they had a therapy session. And so the computer just says the most generic thing back to them. And how did you feel about that? And what did that make you, what did that remind you of? These kind of very Mm. basic basic prompt uh, leading questions. And every person who was part of this experiment came out saying they didn't care that it was a, it was a, it wasn't a real person. They had the same fulfilling experience. They even asked other people to leave the room while they were doing the session because mm. they didn't really need a person. They needed to be asked questions and to be allowed the space to think. And I think, I, yeah, that's what I want to be involved in in how that can evolve and how technology can be used for good in mental health. Because there is, it is already used in many ways, um, in many positive ways to help improve people's wellbeing and mental health. But I think there's, that's a really interesting area that could yeah, develop loads. What about you? I'm also thinking about going back to going to school. Mm. So I don't want to make any official announcements yet because <laughs> I'm only applying just now. But okay. yeah, I mean, the, this podcast is going to be a big focus for us. It's going to be, you know, more kind of documentary style. It's going to be that f- super intimate, really yeah. atmospheric. And we've 
just put a pilot together so we're really excited about that and at the moment I'm so busy with book stuff I'm mm. doing interviews and stuff every day and yeah. I'm still like shooting more than ever now yeah you know I think it's an exciting time you know in the past I never thought I'd be modeling at 30 you know mm. so it's I'm busier than ever so I'm just trying to like manage everything also while I'm traveling and we're hoping to try and release the book in different parts of the world That'd and be great yeah so and also you know what I think I was thinking about this today we always focusing on kind of what what we should be delivering in the future and I think there's something so nice about being like actually we just achieved something really big Mm. and 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 letting and just seeing what's going to happen instead of just like okay next next which is like we all do it I'm not saying that I am exempt at all but just kind of like I'm just kind of Especially with books, like people need to read them and tell their friends, mm-hmm. and they it, it has a life cycle of its own, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, oh, I'm just gonna see what happens and and not let that be and that and actually mean it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So we'll see. <laughs> I've got one final question before I let you go, which is um, which I ask everyone, which is um, if you could go back and give your younger selves one piece of advice, um, what would it be? So. Um, who wants to go first? <laughs> For me, it would be about patience. Mm. There's been so many times in my life where I felt like things were just not happening fast enough. Mm. And I think social media magnifies that for all of us right Mm. we all feel like our life is on such a literal timeline now Mm. you know like whether it's to do with you know goals surrounding our job you know relationships all of these things or there's been so many moments in my life where I'm like I want this to happen right now and like why didn't I get that thing Mm. and then I think every day I realize how hindsight is more and more of a beautiful thing Mm. like I got asked to do a book five years ago I wasn't ready Mm. I 100% wasn't ready Mm. or you know there's so many other things going forward now that I am in a much better position to talk about Mm. to speak about or you know and 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 who knows what else the future holds but just to kind of understand patience where when you're younger you're just like you don't have any (laughs) Mm. you have you have no understanding of time right because you don't understand you know but it's also our society that makes us feel like we're always behind but like Mm. who who can actually say that you know I'm behind on what mm. you know so it just to tell myself like just chill <laughs> what about you Sarah pretty similar I think in terms of I was so obsessed with success and getting to the next the next the next and I just didn't take care of myself at all during my 20s which mm. led to at the age of 31 just a complete burnout and I didn't want anything to do with the industry that I was in and I wanted to run away to Nairobi (laughs) and had I been more tender with myself and kind of uh, realized the importance of like I don't want to say self-care but I mean just slowing down and not Mm. rushing to please everyone like just people pleasing I was Mm. constantly people pleasing Mm. and worrying about what everyone thought about me all the time like it was like it's like another voice in my head like objectifying like how are you perceiving me how are you perceiving me was that funny was this not funny like and it was just that voice just constantly in my head along with a really intense and increasingly um stressful workload so my advice to my younger self would just kind of be the same just to slow down and stop mm. trying to please everyone because you're never going to please everyone and you have to remember to kind of yeah look after yourself and please yourself and figure out what you actually want because people climb career ladders quickly and you go along a path without even really 
realizing that you're there because you're so mm. obsessed with achieving and well I was so obsessed with <laughs> achieving that I got to wherever I was and thought I don't even know if I want this like mm. I don't know how I've got here or what decisions were made because it was just success in my mind so mm, yeah. I guess to stop and think it more often than I did is this really what I want or am I just rushing to to achieve mm. and I think so many so many of us are feeling like that mm, you know? totally you know you're like what's next you know and I and at to, what cost is yeah, it? Yeah, at what cost, you know? Sarah didn't sleep for a decade. <laughs> like, actually, you did it, mm-hmm. you know? And I think just to enjoy the small moments, you know, I think we're all so conditioned to think that happiness looks like these giant moments of our lives, whether mm. it's that promotion, that graduation, that wedding, that this, that, that, but, like, you know, so that we're always chasing the big events, you know? Mm. And, like, I think joy happens in the everyday, mundane, little things and mm. I think we, we forget and we take those things for granted mm. we stop looking for them we don't notice them anymore mm. because also because our attention span is completely <laughs> messed up because of the yeah. internet but you know I think those are the, the especially for me I find so I'm start I find so much value in those little things yeah and and this book really also reminded me to reanalyze what I what made me happy mm. and mm. what the, the what success even meant to me Mm. and yes I think this book was like our education and you know I can say we've graduated (laughs) past the first year (laughs) thank you both so much Um, it was such a joy to speak to you and thank you so much for coming in Um, and to everyone listening Mixed Feelings is out now do read it it's uh, totally eye opening and really great and will really change how you think about social media so that's it from us thank you so much for listening to the Sunday Salon please do share your thoughts about the episode with me I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alice Azania and more importantly if you're enjoying the podcast please do rate or review it it really helps other people find it and its position in the charts so until next week thank you very much and goodbye goodbye